to be a pastor, uh, which uh, Jedediah does, um, uh, interested in serving in worship arts and leading worship arts and our choir ministry, but also in other areas of ministry. So we felt that um, uh, the Holy Spirit directed us to Jedediah, so we made him an offer. I've been wrong in the past, so I never know. But uh, this past week, Jedediah accepted our offer and invitation to come. So, uh, great heart, um, and I think he's going to be just a, a wonderful blessing to our community of faith in a variety of ways. Uh, he's passionate about a number of things, uh, discipleship and uh, sacred community, and so um, we'll uh, trust the Lord. He's gonna uh, use him in just the ways he wants in our congregation. So um, be praying for Jedediah and Brittany, their family. They've got two kids. They'll be coming um, mid August, because it will be moving across the country and all of that. So pray for them that it all goes well and safe travel. Can we pray together? So Lord, uh, in this new series, would you uh, give us ears to hear? Uh, there's uh, a depth to the series that, um, Lord, I'm listening hard, because I, I think it's deeper than I am right now, Lord, so would you uh, help us to discern your voice in the verses of scripture in the sermon? In your name we pray, amen. So uh, some of you know that uh, after college and serving as a po college pastor a bit, I was in social work for a while, and uh, I was hired to focus on um, drug and alcohol prevention. So we'd go into high school, we'd lead discussion groups and programs, did some individual counseling with high school students, and how our social service agency equipped everyone, whether it was foster care or drug and alcohol prevention, whatever it was, is they had us go through a training and become certified in something called reality therapy. Has anyone heard of reality therapy just out of curiosity? So it's a little bit more well-known in the Midwest. It's a, it's a theory, it's a theory of uh, counseling that's done by William Glasser. He was, a, he was trained a Freudian, I believe, trained uh, psychoanalysis, and he was looking for something that was a wee bit more practical. And so reality therapy, he developed, and we were certified in that, and it was so practical, and there was an essence of two questions that you ask if you're talking and, and processing with someone. The, the questions were really simple. What do you want? And is what you're doing getting you what you want? Could it be more practical than that? In, in fact, I, I found that very helpful, especially in talking with high school students, you know, kind of getting through some of the complaints and, and those kind of things, and finally say, hey, what, what, what is it that you want? And is what you're doing getting you what you want? No, it's not really. Well, then let's talk about other strategies to do that. So that was my, for better or for worse, uh, my, my perspective and, and going through and, and actually using it with myself and using it with others and, and very helpful. 
And yet I had suspicions that it wasn't quite in line with how the Lord was working in my own life. That it was a little bit different than uh, the questions that he wanted me to ask, so to speak. And I think um, I had some clarity on that difference when I received a, a book anonymously by one of my favorite authors. He's passed away now, Dallas, Dallas Willard. He, is a, he was a Christian philosopher and has wrote, written a number of books. And for that which I could understand, it was brilliant, right? But he has a depth of that. And I received this book called uh, Life Without Lack. I was like, that's interesting. Life without lack. And, and what he does is he walks through a psalm that most of us are familiar with, whether we are Christians or not, most of us have heard Psalm 23. For many of us, like myself, Psalm 23 is the favorite, right? We, there's a lot of good psalms, but Psalm 23 just, there's something about it. And what Dallas Willard does is he goes slow and unpacks this favorite psalm. And what he asks is he asks this question, can you imagine a life that you would be, you would lack or want nothing? David would go on to say, I, I will fear no evil. He says, can you imagine a life with no fears and no anxieties? and no worry. And my first thought in response to that question was, no, I can't even imagine. I, like, I can't imagine living a life, a, a day like that, <laughs> right? To, to be free of want and, and need and, and to actually have the perspective that, I, that, that I'm perfectly content with all that's there, that not be driven by what I desire, not be driven by fear, not have that, that stressor that gets me up in the morning. Began to think, isn't that how life works? Isn't it? Right? Don't we... We begin with what we need, don't we? We, we begin, we, we need the basics. We need food and shelter and safety and security. And if we don't have that, if we're standing in need, if we're lacking in those basics in every way, what do we do? We go after it, right? We, we, we get it. That, that's what drives us. And Once we have those basics, then we're able to start thinking about some of our, not just need, but, but our wants, right? Our, our want for, for love and relationship and community. Our, our want for things and power and influence and wealth. And when we've identified some of those wants, some of those wants are very good, some of the, they can be not so good. But when we've identified those wants and, and we don't have them and we're lacking, what do we do? We go after those things, right? We, we, we pursue them. I was thinking that's why reality therapy is so 
works so well is because that's, that's human. We're, we're driven by our wants. We're, we're driven by those needs, those desires, sometimes those stressors. What do you want? And what are you doing to get what you want? And to have Dallas Willard go, can you imagine a life that's free of all that? Not really. Not really. And yet, as I began to think about this, began to think about Psalm 23, and as I read the book, I began to long for that kind of life. I began to think, how amazing would that be if I was not motivated by lack, if I didn't wrestle with fear and insecurity? How amazing would it be if I had something else that was driving, that was the goal? And in fact, it, it, it began to feel like a, a rightness to life. Like maybe, maybe we need to pull back and meditate on David's words a little bit. Maybe David was intimating something that was different. Maybe Dallas Willard who claimed that and those who around him recognized that Dallas Willard was living it differently. And even though he faced all the same tensions and struggles and difficulties and loss and pain, that even though he suffered like the rest of us do in this broken world, he seemed to live a life without lack. Maybe we need to pay attention that God could be saying something in these words of Psalm 23. Would you like to do that with me over the next couple of weeks? Yes. Now, again, sometimes I feel the need to give a little bit of a confession. I would love to be farther along in this journey than you all when I preach it, right? So some of my words are going to be more either Dallas Willard's words or just pure grace from the Spirit, all right? But I want to invite you to, to journey with me as a fellow journeyman or woman and say, let's, let's see what the Lord has for us in this psalm. And instead of open your Bibles, most of you know the Psalm 23. I'm going to read in a slightly different translation. Just close your eyes and just take it in. So, of course, David, and he writes this The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down and green pastures and tender grass. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes 
my soul. He guides me along the right paths, paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me, pursue me, all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord, your house, forever. I would encourage you, these next couple of weeks as we unpack, if, if you've not memorized Psalm 23, you memorize, it doesn't matter which translation, but would you seek to memorize that? Hide the word in your heart. Meditate on the words and the phrases. Let it sink in. One of the things that strikes me, we're going to talk about that very first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What struck me as I thought about that different translation is that Paul, uh, uh, David is not talking about a slight attitude adjustment. Right? He's, not, he's not talking about a, uh, just a, a slight shift in how we approach the world. He's not just talking about a, an adjustment that we might have and, and take in or a, a leadership principle that we add to our life. And that, that's actually not what David is talking about, is it? He is intimating, he is sharing, he's inviting us into, I think what David would say, a different way of thinking and living all together. He's inviting us to approach our lives in such a way that we have not been raised with, that we've not, most of us, have not learned from our parents or family or churches. He's inviting us to a different way to think and live, that, that we need to pull back and look at the water that we're swimming in. He, he's inviting us out of, if you will, salt water into fresh water. Some of you have heard uh, the gross scientific experiment where if you put a frog in a boiling hot water, what will the frog do? It'll jump out. If you put him in nice cool water and he hangs there, but you turn the uh, flame on and it slowly grows, what will he do? He'll stay. He'll jump out. He won't jump out. And in fact, he'll boil to death. I was thinking the way we live with stress 
and lack and unmet longing. It's the slow boil. And what God is offering through Psalm 23 in the words of David is that he would take us out of that heat-increasing water and place us on a whatever, a lily pad (laughs) of a different way. Yes? In fact, Psalm 23 is not that, that only place that, Paul, uh, that the Lord talks about. I have the Apostle Paul in my mind. Um, in fact, he talks about it in a variety of different ways. I just put a few of the scriptures in the outline uh, for you. For example, Psalm 34, 9 and 10 says this. Fear the Lord. Actually, fearing the Lord and seeking the Lord is a way of life. It's a way of life that is contrary to the way the world lives life. And listen to what the promise is. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Is that possible? I I mean, I thought maybe Psalm 23, David was talking about when we get to heaven and we get to journey with God and then we'll lack no good thing. But it seems like, no, he's talking about, and the psalmist is talking about lacking no good thing in this life where there are lions. Paul states it in a slightly different way in the New Testament that I think would be helpful for us. He uses this idea or this word of contentment. I think this is behind David's words and the Lord's invitation. He says this. He talks about it as a secret. And he says, I know what it is to be in need And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What's Paul saying here? I wish Paul would have given us a little bit more on this. But but what is Paul saying? One of the things Paul is doing is he's separating contentment from things and circumstances. In our thinking, we've connected, most of us have connected contentment with things and circumstance. And he's saying, I've, I've run the gamut of experience, but I've learned the secret. The other thing that I think Paul is doing that's helpful for us to get our mind around this is he's, he's addressing contentment and expectations. Contentment and expectations. It's been said that contentment comes not so much from great wealth as from few wants. I was uh, discussing this with my wife and 
She gave me permission to, to share this. She said that she's identified a big source of her frustrations is in unmet expectations. Not with me, of course, but all others. <laughs> oh, if it were only true. Anyways, the, but do you see, so we're thinking about contentment and circumstance and expectations. I was reading a story. A man was sharing about his father-in-law. He was, his father-in-law was a, an old farmer in Kansas, and he was serving and helping in the farm. And he got into a discussion trying to glean the wisdom from his father-in-law. And they started talking about the difference between rural living and, and city living or suburbanite living. He said, my, my father-in-law said this really interesting thing that caught me. He said, most city folks I know expect each year, notice expect, to be better than the last. He said, they think it's normal to get an annual raise to earn more of the, this year as we did last year. Would you say you share in that expectation? I would say, yes, I do. He continued, but as a farmer, I've had good years and bad years. It all depends on rain at the right time, dry days for harvest, no damaging storms. Some years have been more and some years have been less. And this man was saying, I was struck with this, he, he, his words, indelible, stunning clarity. The law of the harvest, some years being fat and some being lean, applies so much more to simply agriculture and the farm. He said, growing in spiritual maturity requires gratefully accepting the seasons of more and the seasons of less in every area of life, in relationships, in marriage, in career, in finance, in ministry, even relationship with the Lord. That, that our expectations, part of spiritual formation is thinking deeply about those expectations and when, whether they are driven by the world or driven by the Lord. And the Lord has told us that when we journey with him, we have seasons of plenty and seasons of want. I think this begins to get at what Paul was talking about. It's not about what we have, but who we're sharing that season with. And all he says is, I can do everything, all things, through him, with him, in union with him. It's not about the rockiness or the difficulty of the terrain, but it's about who's journeying through that terrain with us. You see, this gets at the central understanding of Psalm 23 
Dallas Willard would argue it's the, the central understanding is to even begin to think about this life, you have to ask this question and honest, honestly answer it truly. When it comes down to it, who's your shepherd? And how good is he? And how much are you letting him lead? You see, I think, without wrestling through this, I think most of us, including Christians, most of us, at the end of the day, if we, if we look at our own lives, if, if we look at the things we struggle with, if we look at what we long for, at the end of the day, who's your shepherd? It's me, myself, and I, right? It's you. You, you, you have done that. Don't you think about that? I, I think legitimately with our, our kids, when, when they're born, we shepherd their lives, right? I, I think there's an honoring of God and they, they can't do that. And, and we raise them up, we lift them up and we're trying to shepherd them. As they become teenagers, as they become young adults, what's the goal? That they would be less dependent on us and... We, we push them out of the nest. The independent, our family calls it adulting, right? Yes, that we, we start to adult in terms of finances and all of that. I think that's where we have it wrong. I think that we're living oftentimes the days as our own shepherd, as our own keepers of our lives. And we're missing it and this different kind of life is saying, no, I want to allow Jesus to be my good shepherd. There's a, a little book uh, entitled A Shepherd Looks at a Psalm 23. And it's written, uh, written by Philip Keller. And he was a shepherd in East Africa. And he tells these uh, stories from the field. And uh, he says um, he used to shepherd a, a flock next to a tenant shepherd, a shepherd that was renting property and, and so forth. And honestly, he said the tenant shepherd was not a very good shepherd. In fact, he was horrible, right? He wouldn't take good care of his sheep. The, uh, it was overgrazed. The grass was eaten down to the ground. The sheep were thin Diseased, some of them had parasites. Keller especially remembers how the neighbor's sheep, these sheep that were, were not kept well, they would line up at the fence of his property. And he said they would blankly stare in his direction. <laughs> I just think that's a hilarious visual of just sheep being like... <laughs> like, did one of them like... I, and he said the difference, the difference was the quality of the shepherd, right? And, and the sheep had a whole lot of longing and want because the shepherd wasn't doing a good job. And friends, I think that 
for some of us, we can shepherd our lives reasonably well. But if there is an all-powerful God who's inviting us to give him the shepherding responsibilities of our lives and our kids' lives, I want to go there. I want to take that. I want to live that life. I don't want to keep shepherding my own life. So I think I'm going to end up one of those sheep staring at others' lives and going, man, I... That'd be awesome. This made me think of, uh, told an old story, I want to tell this new one. It made me think of one of my favorite scenes from the entire Marvel universe. We have time for it, let's do it, all right? So, so it's one of my favorite scenes. Some of you will recognize this. It's just a short scene. It's when we're first introduced, they, they first meet Thor. He comes in and snags Loki, and the Black Widow tries to encourage Captain America. She's like, stay out of the mix. These guys are too powerful. They're like gods. Watch this. He said, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. In the theater, the first time I saw that, everybody applauded with that. I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, if, if Thor is God, we're in trouble, right? If Thor or anyone else is our shepherd, we're in trouble, What an incredible invitation. David is saying, when the Lord is your shepherd, that changes everything, your entire life. Another another famous author, Andrew Murray, he was talking about prayer and he said, the power of prayer depends almost entirely on our apprehension of who it is with whom we speak. I think you can apply that to to Psalm 23 and the idea of shepherding, that contentment in life, life without lack, depends almost entirely on our apprehension of who it is that we entrust our lives to. Would you think for me with a few moments about who this Lord is that invites you, that says, come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Think about his, his nature for a moment, the, his character, who he is. The psalmist in Psalm 38 says this, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in your shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. That is God. His house is a house of abundance. The, the river that's flowing is a river of delight. In another place, Psalm 81, I believe, yes, yeah, Psalm 81, the Lord says, he says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. That's who he is. That's his desire. That's what he's wanting to do in our lives. And yet many of us are not opening our mouths to him. We're busy filling it with our own stuff, what we can acquire. Think of about the promises that he says all through the Old and the New Testament. One of my favorite uh, promises in the, in the Old Testament is the only place that God says, test me in this. It's from Malachi, and it's when the people were not giving the full tithe to the temple and the worship and the flow. They were, they were pulling back. They were holding back on their, um, on their tithes. And so he says this. This is Malachi 3.10. Let's see if uh, we caught the misprint in there. Yeah. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. I had text me in this. That was my misprint. I don't think he said text me. I think test me is the right one. But this is the only place where he says test me in this. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. See, God wasn't after more wealth. He didn't want more poverty in his people in the Old Testament and today. He's like, I got it all. A thousand cattle on a thousand hills. No, I, that, this is not the point. This is about your heart and trusting me. And will you let me shepherd your lives even in the area of finance? He says, you're pulling back. You're being stingy, stingy with me and my house. You see, you don't get it yet. You see, my heart is to bless and to pour out. I promise you. I don't like when people test, but test me in this. Can you believe he said that? Test me. This is who I am. I'm promising you. Trust me. Let me shepherd your life. You see, all this is an invitation. All this is an invitation, a daily invitation. 
to not shepherd your own life, but to daily let the Lord shepherd your life. Now, in light of Psalm 23, when you think about Jesus' words in John 10, when he says, I am the good shepherd, I think that's a claim of deity. I think that's a claim to be God because of Psalm 23. And Jesus invites, he's saying, I am the good shepherd. You take my yoke on you. I'm easy and gentle and humble. He would say, my father is gracious and abundant and merciful. Would you give me the reins of your life? The apostle Peter says this about Jesus as the shepherd. He says, he himself bore our sins in the body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. When you became a Christian, you said, Jesus, I'll let you shepherd my life. You, though we were straying at different ways, different levels, we're straying, we're doing our own thing, we said, all right, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. We Return to Jesus. When I read that and prayed for the congregation, my first thought was, many of us need to return today. Many of us need to let him shepherd our lives. We said we would. But we shepherd our own lives. I want to leave you with the story. The worship team can uh, come forward. I want to leave you with this beautiful story. It's actually a pastor sharing. He, his father was a pastor. And uh, he said, this was my father's favorite story. And he would share it so often at funerals. He said the, um, that uh, father was at uh, visiting a son uh, not his son, a, a son of a parents, and he was dying. And it was a, a fatal diagnosis. And the pastor came, part of his congregation, he was caring for the son, uh, the child, doing his best for the parents. The child was in a room upstairs, and the pastor spent a lot of time one-on-one -on -one with the child. The child never acknowledged, he was never conscious enough to acknowledge the pastor's presence. Pastor spent a long time with him, went away, came back in the morning, and the child had died. Started to care for the parents and preparing funeral arrangements. And at one point, the parents said, hey, Pastor, we have a question for you. At some time, our son grabbed his, his ring finger and then ultimately, he stayed that way the last several hours of his life. And that's how he died, holding his ring finger. 
do, do you know why? And the pastor said, yeah, I, when I talked to him, I, you know, he's on the edge of eternity and I wanted to share with him in, in a way that perhaps he would understand. So I just, with his hand, I walked him through five words. The thumb is the, pointer is Lord. Middle is, is, ring finger is my. And the pinky finger is shepherd. So the son, the child, decided to, that it was the ring finger, the, the my shepherd, declaring that Jesus was his shepherd. I was thinking, I would love to go into eternity holding my ring finger. Right? My shepherd. I would also love to live this life, figuratively speaking, holding my ring finger, each day saying, or this day, I, I'm gonna choose. You, these promises are incredible. We're gonna walk through the promises in, in Psalm 23. If you're offering this kind of life, if you're, if you're offering to, to, to pull me out of the water, if you're, if you're offering not to be driven by my wants, but by your wants and desires for my life, I want to do that. Can we pray together? If you're comfortable, you don't have to do this, but if you want to grab your ring finger as we pray. Oh Lord, forgive us in any way that we've wanted to do it on our own. Forgive us when we've looked to other people to be our shepherds, when we've looked at other things, to be our focus in life, what gets us up in the morning. Lord, we, we want you to be our shepherd, our personal shepherd. Lord, we need your wisdom, your spirit, and your voice to teach us about this different kind of life. Jesus, we declare together that you are our good shepherd. Amen. Can we stand together and respond in worship?